Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. So gear up with the crew as they talk about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you back to the Speckled Truth Podcast. Got an insanely special guest here, and I've said this before in a number of podcasts that have been humbled uh, just by this journey alone and just meeting the people throughout our community. And certainly today's guest is one of those folks, uh, and that is uh, the one and only Aaron Martins. Aaron, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, like I said before, sir, uh, super thankful for your time. I know you're uh, really busy fishing tournaments still. I think Leslie was saying that you were kind of uh, tinkering with your tackle right before we go ahead and start this recording. But uh, if you can, and unless people live under a rock listening to this podcast and most of our followership and listenership are very avid fishermen both fresh and salt uh so probably not a whole lot to introduce because most most folks know who you are but if you don't mind tell a little bit about yourself uh mayor martins i was born in california southern california and so i grew up on the west coast for about 30 years but i fished out here since my probably middle early 20s started coming out here for championships that i made out there like english choice and stuff over the years, but I grew up fishing like the Santa Cruz and a Kappa. I was a deckhand for two years on an ocean boat, but went out to Santa Cruz and a Kappa a lot. So I grew up fishing like the at Catalina and Santa Barbara Islands, and all that. Really started saltwater fishing first, mm-hmm. and then got into bass fishing after. And uh, when- yeah, I wanted to be. I wasn't be a captain. That was my first choice. Was a captain, sea captain. I was a saltwater guy for my whole career. I mean, almost until I was like fifteen, and I started getting the freshwater fishing. And I've been a trout fisherman you know, out there my whole life. Uh, fresh, you know, like rainbows, goldens, cutthroats, all those. I grew up fishing those first, and then saltwater, and then eventually bass was last. And that's what I'm doing now. But I like all fishing, like most fishermen. I like any kind of fishing. And so, you know, that transition from the saltwater world to the freshwater, admittedly, that's something I'm going to try to do this year because we've had a pretty significant kill here in the Texas coast. And so I'm trying to just you know, stay in, you know, keep my skills sharp, et cetera, et cetera, and, and learn a lot more about fishing. But admittedly, I'm not a bass guy and, and never really grew up quote unquote bass fishing. And so I'm anxious to kind of, you know, go through that endeavor and kind of learn a little bit more about fishing. But like you said, you know, fishing is fishing. And so how was that transition for you? Well, the trout, the actual, the actual uh, trout fishing, I grew up backpacking in the Sierras and Mexico with my dad and, uh, you know, fishing streams and lakes and that you know, I did that for years, many years mm-hmm. before I bass fished and saltwater fish. Kind of was trout fishing, a, you know, actual trout for a long time. And then that taught me a lot about fishing in general, though, like fishing creeks and currents, streams, lakes, mm-hmm. you know, sides of the lakes that were good. I mean, I fished trout like three days a week, uh, two days a week in the Anaheim Lakes, you know, Southern mm-hmm. Cal, they stock them. And then and there's lots of Sierra. The Sierra fisheries are incredible for freshwater trout fishing. But, uh, it's definitely helped me in the long run become a better fisherman. Just, you know, fish are fish and they have habits. Mm-hmm. They're in their habits. Definitely helps. Yeah. And, no, uh, you sure. know, trout, sea trout, or I call them sea trout. They're, they're a little similar to 
best in a lot of ways and trout. They're kind of hunters and they, they roam around or they move around with the bait and the current. So they're uh, they're different than the bass a little bit, but they're, I guess they're kind of like a trout a little bit, you could say. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, a, they're kind of a weird thing, right? Yeah. Because they're not true trout, like you're talking about rainbows, yeah. browns, cutthroats, stuff like that. But, uh, but they also behave uh, very pred- predacious and, mm-hmm. and they yeah. instinctively kind of respond a lot, kind of like bass uh, it, that I've seen in terms of, you know, my own personal correlation. Yeah. Uh, we throw a lot of bass tackle, which we'll yeah. talk about here in a, in a bit uh, on how to bro- approach them. And so, it, you know, interesting to hear kind of, again, your transition, but obviously growing up, or let me phrase that, making a living bass fishing. I mean, w- w- first off, what was that like? I mean, or what is that like? <laughs> <laughs> I know that's it's probably very, pretty it's lucrative hard. question. It's hard. You know, obviously we all, if you're fishing, you know, it's not easy. Uh, it's very tough. Yeah. It's a lot of, a lot of prep, tons of prep. Uh, mm-hmm. tackle preps played by far the most time, 90% of it. And the rest of it's, you know, clothes and getting all your stuff right. So you're comfortable out there and dry. You never know what you're going to run into them easily. But, uh, the tackle is hard. Um, if kids, all the fishers they go to, you know, go from St. Lawrence to Texas to Florida. So you gotta have to have a wide range of a tackle and that's incredible how much tackle we do carry. It's for yeah. reasons, you know, I'm a lot of, you don't have a lot of practice time and you go, you know, you might go from one extreme to the next. So you have to have both kinds of tackle on the boat. So it makes it complicated for sure. You know, one lake you might be fishing shallow grass and the next lake you might fish in rock and cranking or, you know, deeper, cleaner fishing. So it's, it's tough. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think, uh, certainly in the saltwater world, uh, is, is kind of underappreciated about you know, bass anglers Under, in general, yeah, is that your ability. To, I mean, I guess, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. But I mean, the, the, you're very good at like drop shotting, uh, but you can also, you know, punch, you know, heavy structure in, in frog fish and in the way you could throw an underspin, you know, so you can go from the lightest of finesse to just junk fishing and, and fish and super heavy stuff. Yeah. And I think on the saltwater world, we kind of lose sight of that. Uh, and, and how much confidence you have to have in the different approaches. But aside yeah. from that, like how versed you guys are in certain, in different techniques, a myriad of different techniques. Yeah, it all comes down to diet, what the fish are eating and what's the easiest for them. And also pressure affects them too. That's what we've been running into. I think a lot of our fisheries, probably saltwater, I'm sure, because I have a saltwater mm-hmm. buddies have been not doing as well this last year. And it's, it's probably something to do with the COVID virus, you know, extra pressure. and. Mm-hmm. And uh, fish that are released, you know, especially bass and stuff, they, they get tournament fished a lot. They get conditioned. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times our fish, you know, fishing tournaments like I do, you can't fish like you think because everybody's been doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of times you have to make those subtle changes just to, you know, do something a little different. It might catch that, you know, not scare the fish away or make them frightened of it. It might be a movement or the sound or the, and I could be going from a hard bait to a soft bait, simple as that, mm-hmm. or, you know, shaking into a drop shot. So it's like, you know, those trout, they're, they're real similar to bass. You know, they might yeah. be speeding up off the bottom one day or fast moving. And the next day you get a front come through or something or a little wind change and they're, they're dragging like a grub on the bottom. It's funny. Yeah. Now, and, and so the, the cool thing is listening to you, it's kind of validation for me because I've taken that approach here, you know, targeting trophy trout 
specifically here yeah. on the Texas coast and really kind of across a myriad of different state, um, myriad of different states. And so my approach is similar to yours is that these fish are conditioned, they're pressured. And so, yeah, there's a, a thousand anglers throwing typically the same things. And so I'm looking for an added advantage uh, to add in fish the same kind of capabilities, you know, slow rise or slow descent or, you know, a small plastic or something like that. But, but change the, maybe the profile or a little bit of that action by, you know, bait selection, you know, in, in something that maybe those fish haven't seen ever. Mm. Um, and we'll talk more about that because I, I don't know if Tom had filled you in. Uh, Tom Frank's uh, kind of the mutual friend that we have here and was able to kind of set this up. But yeah. um, I, I, I throw a ton of jerk baits and we'll talk about jerk baits. It's yeah. kind of been my labor of love the last couple of years is kind of dissecting that kind of capability yeah. in my angling repertoire and in terms of targeting those big fish. And what I've seen is that their response has been pretty unique because they maybe just haven't seen a lot of that type of lure, yeah. or, you know? Or, and so they're eating, it's something that resembles what they're eating and people mm -hmm. haven't figured that out. Yet. Maybe like, like even a crankbait, you know, times that a jerk bait's good, but there's also times that, you know, crankbait's way better or lipless, you know, or, mm -hmm. Probably really similar. Last time I went in Florida, we fished redfish, or not redfish, it was a trout. We uh, we were playing around with me and the Chapman, Ben Chapman, were playing with different baits, getting really different reactions. It was funny. Her, they were their water temperature and the you know, time of year, what they're eating has a lot to do with the action of the bait you need to be throwing, the tail action or the movement of the bait. I know it's yeah. very important in bass fishing, extremely, getting that so, cadence right, the movement yeah, so of the bait and the speed. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, obviously through decades of experience for you and fishing a myriad of different lakes, um, obviously probably many times and that's what you do, right? I mean, yeah. how do you, what's your, what's your kind of, um, refining process to, you know, trying well, to dial yeah. in something for and most develop us, a pattern? Yeah. And most of us now it's electronics, of course. I mean, they're so mm -hmm. good now. I mean, probably the same for trout too. You can find bait, you can find the fish themselves. You can, mm -hmm. can't do a lot of looking before we actually fish. Most of the guys that kind yeah. of got figured out they're we're electronics users and use imagery i mean it's incredible advantages you get with it now yeah can optics uh side scans uh, the sonars are better it just makes it a lot easier to find them man mm -hmm. a lot of times it's you know a lot of times there's you know maybe hard to graph or mix them with other fish and you just have to find a search bait mm -hmm. kind of locate where they maybe the, the zone they're at i know the sea trout are weird they kind of go from like maybe it's they're in four feet four to five and a half feet and then if you go a foot too deep it's like where'd they go <laughs> yeah maybe they're shallower so you go up shallower and get grass it's kind of real similar to bass fishing yeah we run into and the same deals and what we find too is you know particularly here in the texas coast it's really just not a deep water fishery yeah um and so what happens is a lot of those fish i mean typically we're fishing you know we wade fish a lot and so th that is kind of like our graph and and our imagery is really our feet right and mm -hmm. just kind of being in tune and learning bottom contour and texture and having some general understanding of, you know, from a base system, okay, this is grass, this is shell, this yeah. is mud. Um, but, you know, typically those fish are, are pretty skinny. Now growing up in Southeast Louisiana, you know, fishing Lake Pontchartrain and, and a little bit more of a deeper water complex, we actually did use a lot more of, you know, very basic sonar at the time. Mm 
um, and just an understanding of like maybe where you know a, a ledge was or a secondary ledge yeah. uh, and things of that nature. But it's it's cool to hear kind of you know y'all place obviously a tremendous amount of emphasis on that. And then the, you, you talked about using a search bait to find them. I mean, what's kind of like your pickup? Go to search bait to try to just develop that pattern. This time of year, a lot of times it's a swim bait. This time of year, for this mm -hmm. time of year, uh, for bass, and then um, you know, like if the water's a little colder, like a lipless, I'm sure mm -hmm. that works in the trout and the, you know, crankbaits vary a lot because of the action. So mm -hmm. now we're getting up into the square bill territory this time a year now for us mm -hmm. for bass fishing almost everywhere. Square bill, we're past the you know slow crankbaits, the uh, legal or, or the faster moving baits, like the shadrat type stuff, we're getting into yeah. the warmer water. So cranking is really good. I mean, I've found like uh, fishing for trout on the West Coast, uh, freshwater trout, like drop shots on the best ways of catching them. Mm -hmm. I find it's one of the best ways to catch any fish. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it really does work. Good. I mean, you can put a little swim bait on or hair. You can put, you know, pretty much whatever. All you're doing is putting a weight at the bottom and a bait up top. It's kind of a saltwater rig or catfish rig, really. Mm -hmm. but i found that's a very effective way to just nose hook you know how we do bass fish and then uh like wacky rig and worm on there a little worm yeah quarter ounce weight light line is it's incredible how it catches everything and so my earlier images of you and just following you obviously throughout your career and you know many of the guys and just being a fan like everybody else i think listening here uh, but one of my earliest memories of you is actually drop shotting but you were fishing it shallow uh, it was actually, I can't remember what, uh, what river system it was. It might have actually been, been a Chicago. red river. Oh, was it? Okay. Was it? Cause I remember fishing. I almost won that. I got second in classic fishing as Calumet. It was Chicago and it was, uh, I was fishing like less than a foot of water with a drop shot. I think I was yeah. following, I was following Rick Clun behind his cranking and I was drop shotting. Oh my God. But I wasn't really touching. I was like I said, I was swimming. It, it was, uh -huh. I think it was really spring. If I can remember right. It was one of those really tournaments, I think. Yeah, not sure though, but uh, yeah, we're, I was actually swimming it lightweight, just kind of bumping the bottom here and there, but little worm. That's kind of, I do that still a lot these days sometimes when it calls for it. But that was fairly cutting edge at the time, you know. I mean, it was a great yeah, modification. That, and... I mean, for the East Coast guys, it was. Yeah, we were playing with it for a while on the West Coast, but is, is this a, you know, a fluke or you could do a lot of stuff with it? I mean, I, I obviously use rubble worms a lot, but they're, there's a little hair jigs I've tied up, little feathers and stuff. Mm -hmm. Just uh, just a way of throwing something out there that's hard to throw that you want, you know, keep it off the bottom. Yeah. Well, hey, I want to I want to save a little bit more of that gear talk, uh, a little bit if you don't mind, Aaron, uh, and talk a little bit more about that, and um, you know, getting into fishing on tour and, and things of that nature, right? And some stories that'd be pretty cool. But yeah. really, and we were kind of talking a little bit about it before the show um and you know what i think what little you know about us in in terms of speckled truth is it, really we're about you know targeting trophy trout but really about their conservation mm -hmm. and talking with tom uh that's something that i didn't quite know about you was that how kind of much of an advocate you are <laughs> on the bass side Everything, for conservation right. and so it's funny yeah. because you know, talking with Tom, I, I, and I think most saltwater anglers would see, would say kind of you guys set the bar in terms of catch or release as a catch or release fishery and have established that mindset through your angling, um, 
uh, or through your anglers. And so are you guys still having like conservation issues within the bass fishery? It's, there's always stuff going around. Uh, Diane Millett ruled that land and fish land violation. That was actually my, okay, my idea. Actually, it was my idea. They actually argued with me in the beginning. First meeting, they decided not to do it in the first tournament. I was very upset about that because all the years of watching guys bounce fish on the carpet and then let them go, it's really hard on a fish. You never let fish touch a carpet or if you're going to let the fish go, you always you know try to keep your hands wet. It's obvious, kind of common sense stuff. Mm-hmm. I was very upset the first year because they didn't do it but they finally brought that into you know touching the fish and bounce them on the floor that always was extremely offensive to me because you know you're killing that fish possibly and letting it go it's a waste and uh at a young age too i you know that's seven eight years old fishing the sierras i catch like a three or four pound cutthroat or something really you know golden like a really big one i'd never think about keeping even though i ate fish and i love trout and we're backpacking so i eat trout but I always keep the ones that were just keepers. I always kind of thought that was smart. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, if you ever caught like a two or three pounder, you'd never kill one, something like that. And that's kind of how it always was as an angler. Like even calico bass on the West Coast, even even other species that you never think about letting go because they're too big. Uh, lean cod, you know, 50, 40 pound lean cod. It's like, I can't kill that thing. Mm-hmm. Been around, you know, calicos, anything over four or five pounds. Kind of that, I think that mindset, if we just had that, I don't know if it's something that a lot of us are kind of naturally kind of know. <laughs> yeah. But I've always kind of figured, you know, let the big healthy fish go and keep the ones that are smaller and bigger and eat them. But I think if we can get that mindset more spread out in the fish, just saltwater and freshwater all over the place, I think it would be a lot better off. Because most of the times I've seen lakes go down, like Amistad and Falcon, a lot of gunners, a lot of lakes that kind of have gone downhill, it's over pressure and a lot of the larger fish get taken out. And then, you get stuck with a bunch of little fish and eventually you get stuck with almost nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's very important. I think to let the right fish go, I think that's, you know, conservation and maybe a lot of it's, you know, Alabama, I think we're struggling with the 10 fish limit still in this state. It's a little too much 10 fish bass in a day. And then I think a lot of people abuse it. And that's just, you know, those slot limits, I think sometimes maybe during spawn or shot times of the year when you want those females to live, it's to me, I think we're killing too many big fish. Yeah. Do, it, so is the catch and keep mentality still pretty prevalent in the freshwater side? Very much so. And especially with really? the COVID, I think because of the panic that people experience for some reason, mm-hmm. I think the panic can go out and just instead of letting them go, a lot of times they keep them now. So I think uh, the pressure has affected them as far as biting, but there's a lot of fish missing I've noticed. I've, you know, I'd like to say I scan a lot. I'm able to scan a lot. And I do fish a lot of lakes here, and and I've been a kind of last year went around a lot of other lakes. And I noticed that there just seems like fish numbers are down, mm-hmm. not just pressure. It's actually numbers of fish have gone down. And the fishing industry has actually been really booming. You know, knowing my you know Shimano being sponsored by Shimano and Loomis and Real is a lot of like Casa, a lot of the, uh, people that are in the industry selling baits are doing really really well, saltwater and fresh. So. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot more people fishing. We just need to get people to realize, you know, how important it is. Maybe, you know, you catch a seven or eight pound largemouth, dude, six pounder, you know, not, not a lot. I always thought if you're not catching a lot of that size, you should, probably shouldn't keep that size. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to keep something to eat, you know, keep something that's small. But that mentality is kind of rare, I think. Yeah. I'm no, sure in do- our cases with us, it's probably, we, we probably already know that if you catch a big, 
trophy trout, you probably want to get a picture of it and let it go. If you're uh, not really using reason to kill it. Yeah. Well, I think, I think we're getting after that. Right. And so yeah. what, let me go back here. So uh, I, um, on the, as a saltwater angler, as a guy who grew up, especially in Southeast Louisiana, the mentality, not only growing up, but I feel throughout the saltwater industry is that it's, Hey, let's, let's go catch them, fill a cooler first, and then we'll go have fun and we can catch and release. And so it's not necessarily a fishery first type yeah. uh, mindset throughout the angling, um, you know, uh, participants, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and I think bass has kind of set the standard. If I feel like as an external guy looking at it of that, Hey, it, it's almost, you know, from my perspective, it's almost like taboo to keep a bass. Like you, I don't feel like everybody launching a boat is going to go out and try to catch whatever that creel limit is for that lake, but instead kind of be a little bit more self-policing and more mm -hmm. conservation minded. Is that, do you think that's about right? That's very important. I think if you catch a fish, you know, months or before they're spawning and you get a nice, healthy, any fish that's showing signs of, you know, eggs. And I mean, I mean, I even think that about crappie. If you catch a really big crappie and it's full of eggs, I wouldn't, I wouldn't keep it. Mm -hmm. But that mind, that's, that's a rare mindset. I don't know what the percentage is, but if we can get that mindset out there, it would be, I think our fisheries would be much, much better. Like yeah. really good. That's actually kind of interesting for me to hear from you that y'all still are kind of encountering that internal to the freshwater, mar you know, mindset or market. Uh, because again, on the saltwater side, I think we're on the cusp of kind of introducing that mindset to the, yeah. to the saltwater angler. Right. Yeah. And so I think if we had just a fraction of the percentage that on the bass side have that mindset, I think our base systems would see you know, a lot better production. I think yeah. we'd see larger fish and we, you know, we wouldn't see limit reductions and, and things of that nature. Right. Yeah. That's what's going to happen next. And that's, uh, I mean, it's a small percentage that, I mean, there's people that are responsible that just keep, you know, a few to eat. Like if I go and I, I'm going to keep something, I just keep enough for that, you know, that, but there's a lot of people that and bass fishing that will go out for a month and kind of like fill their freezers up. I've seen no it, kidding. you know, I see the same guys that's happened everywhere. And, I've seen that for years where guys will, you know, they'll stay for like a three weeks, a month in a campground, fill a big freezer up with fillets. Every day he's mm. inflating and freezing them. And I've, seen, I've just seen that a lot. But that's, it's not, it's not the majority. It's just a few, I think, that mm -hmm. are causing the damage. Yeah. It's a few that, and I hate to say it, but it's a few, there's a few cheaters out there. Yeah. They're taking advantage of the fisheries. And, and uh, you know, Texas, Florida, New York, California, they have really good, Fishing game, even in Louisiana, I've been checked, but like places like Alabama and some other states have been, you can fish for a year and never get checked. <laughs> yeah. Never see a game warden. That's not good. I know the places right. that seem to have game wardens like Texas and New York and even California, their populations actually are pretty good still mm -hmm. to this day. But the places like, I know Louisiana was 10 fish for a while, bass, but I think they're five. I think the only state in California or the U.S. is that 10 fish still for bass is Alabama. And it's showing because our lakes are suffering bad. <laughs> Damn, that makes it makes us a target, really, because you know a lot of people from up north come here and east and northeast. They come here to vacation; it's nicer, and they just kind of wear them out for a while. So it's yeah, it's conservation and limits and just making people smarter. You know, and just you know, let let the healthy ones go. Let the big 
know, that time of year, but we don't, you know, a lot of states, you know, New York don't let you fish. And, but, you know, the places that do that, they do show, you go there and, you know, they're obviously the, for numbers and size, averages are doing really well. But that's because mm -hmm. they're strict on the conservation and limits and even restricting times you can fish, you know, during the spawn, you know, crucial times when fish are actually on beds. Mm -hmm. It shows, shows in the numbers of fish and the health. Yeah. But you said it's a, it's a minority of folks yeah. that are causing a little bit of the damage in your industry. Yeah. Um, and so obviously, like I said before, I think it's kind of the majority and we're the, on, on from a conservation perspective, we're kind of on the minority side of things and we're trying to right the ship a little bit. And so, mm -hmm. you know, during your tenure in, in bass, uh, in the bass fishing world, um, can you talk a little bit about maybe how that mind sh mindset, excuse me, shifted from, again, the minority being conservation minded to now the majority of the bass fishing uh, participants being kind of conservation minded? Can you talk a little bit about that? I can. My brother was a, I call him fish eater, but he was, a, I had a problem with my middle brother and I'm the youngest, so he's 10 years older than me, but he always kept, he'd go to California, he'd always bring big largemouth back from these little mm -hmm. small lakes and I'd just give him, a, I'd let him have it. <laughs> you know, as a young kid, 15, 16, he'd be bringing five. And that was before I bass fished. I'd be like, why are you keeping these big ones? I didn't understand it. So I actually turned him after 20 years. Now he's totally in the, he catches something over like three pounds, two pounds. He lets it go. Mm -hmm. So, but he was a full on eater for a year. Like he just never could throw a fish back until he had mm -hmm. a limit, like we we're talking about. But, but now he's, you know, he's changed. So I changed him. We just got to change a lot more. Yeah. But it definitely, uh, you know, he's, you know, I guess, I don't know what it takes really. I mean, you have to, I guess, have a love for the the sport itself and uh, you got to be, have a love for the fisheries, I guess, to actually yeah. care for them. I think maybe a lot of people go out there and don't really have that care for them. They may throw trash in the water, let bottles blow there, but I don't know what it is. But I mean, there, I guess there can be things that we can do to fight it, but I just, I've talked to people, you know, nice and at flay boards, you know, they're playing, you know, limits, you know, 30, 40 pound bag, you know, five fish limits of bass, you know, nine, 10 pounders in Goodness. California and kind of pleaded with them. You know, this guy's playing a 16 pounder in front of me. That's not a bassy <laughs> fillet. Yeah. And I've seen it. I've seen it lots of times. It's, you know, as a kid growing up and guiding out there, I was very frustrated by it, but there's nothing you really can do. I've asked people and interviewed them kind of like, why do you do it? Why do you kill these big ones? It's, just, it's the most common answer out here too is they have more meat. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, my, 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 re my instant reaction is, well, they don't taste as good and they have more mercury and pollutants in them. If you keep a smaller fish, it's a lot healthier, which is actually back then was actually true. And now it's been proven it actually is true that, that it's actually that you have less chances of picking up, you know, contaminants in a smaller fish. Mm -hmm. And it's better for the fishery because that big fishery killing, you know, may have 500,000 babies. <laughs> yeah. Well, and not only that, I mean, at least on our side too, and I'm sure it's the same just kind of across all fisheries, but those fish that get that big, I mean, for they get reason. kind of that big for a reason, right? I mean, they have genetics yeah. uh, alone to even grow to that size. Uh, but then aside from that, I mean, that, that fish is a survivor, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's part of what we try to do is try to educate that, folks yeah much better at protecting the their their spawn much better mm -hmm. than a small fish like the fish that i think the average fish you know out here uh you know a male bass is 
an average male and you know full grown is four or five pounds for a large mm-hmm. mouth. An average female full grown is you know probably eleven or twelve pounds. But people don't understand that because they never see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably yeah. the same with trout because you out here you know even a big fish, a huge fish for a lot of people is six or seven pounds. And that's sad because that's not even a fish that's half grown. Hmm. So it's probably the same with trout. You know, if, I guess if signs were up saying you know this is maybe even you do stuff like that, but just educate people more and let them know these fish are young. Maybe eventually they'll want to catch more large fish and experience yeah. it. Because it's much more fun to catch a large fish than small fish. Right. I know. And, and that's <laughs> what a novel thought, right? Yeah. And, and, and so, uh, but it, it, it sounds like, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, it makes sense. It's, I mean, I, I like catching two pounders, but isn't this way more fun to catch an eight pound <laughs> yeah. than a two pound? Yeah. Now, well, you talked about it a little bit, right? And that's kind of peer-to-peer uh, pressure, if you will, or peer-to-peer education. But like, at least on y'all's side, how how involved has like Major League Fishing or or the you know Bass uh, um, you know, BASS Elite Series mm-hmm. and and how how much of a staunch approach or and or like from an education perspective and and trying to yeah. again bring people to yeah. that side. I know, I hear what you're saying. I've been working on it for many years. That's one of mm-hmm. the reasons I left Bass. I actually was one of the things I was, you know, 20 years ago, I was upset about was fish hitting the carpet. I thought there should have been penalties back then in bass. I was always, I mean, I got in trouble with them because I was pushing it so hard about fish care. And, you know, especially how fish are treated. Now, you guys don't know how, what it is with the sea trout. I don't know what tournament fishing for them, but bass fishing is, I mean, a lot of fish get, you know, eaten. But I mean, a majority of them, I think, maybe caused from just fatalities from tournaments. People, mm-hmm. you know, team tournaments, club tournaments, and that's probably where the majority of our fish go that end up disappearing or just from being abused and being weighed in. But I mean, do you guys have trout tournaments? Oh where yeah, you, absolutely. So it, they actually well, bring the fish in and release them. Ne- well, right. so there are a few, very, very few, very, very few, Aaron, where it actually is, and that's something we're again trying to change and implement here in the saltwater industry is that you know, go to a more CPR format, catch photo yeah, release, yeah. kind of like an MLF. I mean, yeah. let's face it, technology is in, in the benefit Isn't of it? us. And, you know, these days where, shoot, you can go live and, and show a fish caught, you know, you can go back through your photo properties, et cetera, et cetera, and, and improve that fish was caught certain location, certain time, you know, and, and go forth from there. There's even, you know, tournament apps now, you can literally log the fish in right then and there. And so there are very few tournaments with a live format weigh-in yeah. brought in, typically those fish are, you know, kind of retained by the hatcheries um, and then released back. But most of the majority of our tournaments on the coast uh, are actually catching kill tournaments still. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's been a huge debate here <clears throat> in Texas. Hard, is that, that's a hard hit. Yeah. Whoo, my goodness. Yeah, it, it's it, really bad. So we're, we're trying to get after that a little bit. Right. And just education. And, and I think people are starting to see the effects of those. And so it's interesting to hear that, you know, even on a bass side, there's still some of that kind of misnomer there. But from a format perspective, it sounds like, you know, you guys have a lot, little bit better um, mm-hmm. grasp of, you know, that situation and trying to do more. We're just trying to start it, you know? Yeah. Some states, some states are really good. <clears throat> like that's in New York's probably one of the best in the country. Hmm. California does well, but they're, they're too restrictive. You know, they've, they've, they cut waterways off and, mm-hmm. you know, where I used to fish out there by islands, but there's a, there's a, there's a middle ground there. Mm-hmm. 
Texas probably got the, I mean, I don't know how the Texas saltwater is, but they seem to do the best job overall. Yeah. What about like the Great Lakes region and stuff like that? They're really good. But they, you, I mean, they just don't let you fish for bass at all for like a couple months or a lot, many months. So like right now, I don't think you can either until June. Oh, wow. Yeah, they have well, off. I mean, it's like now till June until ice break, I think, till June. Yeah. You can't fish it, for them. <laughs> yeah, what about like you go, there, you go up there and catch 100 and this, you know, two people catch 100, 200 fish in the summertime. And there could be a thousand boats doing that. So obviously the numbers are incredible. Yeah. What about like Florida and those tournaments you fish, maybe on like the East Coast, Georgia, Florida, stuff Florida, like that? Florida, they're strict. They, they think they get so much pressure. And there's a lot of people, that re, you know, retired people go down there and they, they mm-hmm. tend to eat them. And I think the populations are probably holding okay because they are pretty strict but mm-hmm. i think they could do better just with numbers down there too just because of what you know what i've seen over the years fishing all those lakes okeechobee yeah. is decent they all go through stretches though where they get it seems like they get good and then it's probably the same for trout you know areas of the coast get good and then they get popularized by you know social mm-hmm. media and then you know next year it's not so good yeah <laughs> What what about like water quality issues? I mean, you guys see it that's and deal with yeah. a lot of that. That's a little. That's a factor. Mostly this because of of the spraying of grass. I know mm-hmm. they have to in some situations. I'm not sure what it's like. That part of it's like no ocean, but most of it the the damage to the water is I think caused from the poison from what I've seen, just from mm-hmm. the dead grass, the the way the fish look, and when they do it, they do a lot of times they do it when the fish are at the weakest before the grass starts growing. And a lot of times it's post spawn and they and they hit it at bad times i think they could be in our situations they could be kind of smartened up a little bit about when to spray mm-hmm. that they're gonna have to spray but saltwater is different you guys it's you don't have they don't really spray the grass do they no not at all uh if we see any sort of events it's typically like a browner you know yeah. there are some red tide I, events right yeah. off of florida uh yeah. where we've seen some like you know agricultural discharges and yeah not and where fresh meat salt yeah. kind of <laughs> You can have some pretty bad yeah. stuff happen. Seen that before. That's a uh, that's kind of common in our lakes too. They get you know warmer months and stuff and pollution. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of rivers are pretty polluted. I like I don't need to fish out of the freshwater lakes around here. <laughs> yeah, very particular about that. Even no, ocean. Yeah. So if you could give some advice, you know, for our folks listening to the podcast, um, you know, in terms of maybe some ways in which they can you know, become more ethical at angling or, or more conservation minded and, or, you know, just some uh, advice to, you know, us speckle truth, as well as others that are trying to get after a little bit of the issue from your experience in bass, like where would you kind of encourage us to go uh, or, or think I about would, or, or methods to use? Yeah. You know? Well, we've already talked about all the important things. I think we know that. I mean, if you, I think we're all smart on that. You get a nice big fat fish and it's going to spawn there. Why not let it go? But the thing is that the, <clears throat> oh boy, I forgot what I was going to say. That's common right now though with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I understand. I, I think we, I mean, I, I do it as much as I can. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Be police, you know, be a neighborhood watch. Mm-hmm. Keep your eyes open. You see a bad apple out there, turn them in. I've mm-hmm. turned a few in and they've, they've thanked me like later and said that we got that guy and, Yes, he was. You know, they caught him with more fish back at his campground. So, I mean, it, 
if you see a guy breaking the law, I mean, I know a lot of us will see that. Well, we will, we will report it. But they are actually, most states are actually pretty good at coming out and pretty quick and getting that guy mm-hmm. or girl. So, I mean, that's the best thing you can do is just watch around this. And, you know, if you see it being abused or that's always does help. And, and, and you'd, be, you'd be amazed how gratified, you know, how happy they are a lot of times when you do call them and they come mm-hmm. out and actually do find to me. A lot of times they just don't have enough people out there doing it. The, you know, there's just not enough people to cover it. Yeah. And just be mindful. You know, if you see people there just are uneducated, that's what I do. I, you know, I'll go to them in a nice way and say hi and, you know, if I see them killing fish, they shouldn't have. I won't tell them that. But I was like, oh, man, that's some nice fish you got. <laughs> you know, yeah. them those are way better off in the lake. But, you know, basically yeah. kind of talk to them and tell them, you know, this fish carry mercury. You know, they get larger than, you know, three or four years old. And I kind of am educated really well about fish. So I kind of know things about fish. And <laughs> it's the truth, though. I mean, it's, I mean, it is better to keep smaller fish. I mean, health-wise. Mm-hmm. But that, that's, I mean, if you're having fish and kill tournaments, that's not good. I mean, yeah. Definitely works on that. And actually, MLF is working on a scale that, you know, that doesn't have to be certified, or is certified, but doesn't have to have, you don't have to have witnesses. You know, we've been working on it for since the beginning of this circuit. Yeah. Trying to get a scale that everybody can use. If we can get that for salt, and it work for salt and fresh, that'd be fantastic. Oh that'd, that'd make our fish. But right now, we don't have, you know, we're not 100% honest. It's not never going to happen. Mm-hmm. So you have to have some some kind of way of certifying it or making it where it's, you know, term it used where it's fair to everybody. Yeah. Now do a lot of folks like on the BASS elite series or MLF, I mean, they share a lot of your same thought process and mentality regarding the fishery, you know, no. pretty conservation minded, huh? <laughs> Not as much as you think. Really? Some do like Kevin and Van Dam. And yeah, some of the guys have been around and are kind of can tell they're, <clears throat> they, they, but some, no, some talk about it to them. They're, even bass, some of the bass people staff, <clears throat> I'd see like things happening. Like, man, we need to do something. Like Gunnersville, for instance, is a good example. I mean, it was, had incredible numbers. The fish average were over five pounds. And now that, you know, it's probably a pound and a half and fish numbers are way, way down, 90%. Hmm. But I saw it happening. I was like kind of, you know, talking to people about it. But you could just tell when I talked to them, they just didn't know. They just didn't understand. And I'm watching it happen. And it's just hard to get officials to do stuff in, in cities. I yeah. think some states are probably easier than others. I think Louisiana and Alabama, I think if we got after, we probably, we have two great fisheries. We probably could, you know, make changes happen. Mm-hmm. But changes do have to happen, especially in these, these, these days and times. There's more people fishing and, and new people fishing. And it, yeah, just a lot of education is missing. And so one of my mentors in, I know you don't know him, but his name is Mike McBride. He's a lower coast legend here in the Texas coast. And and he kind of used an analogy with me. And that is with regards to kind of fishing conservation in educating people. And he's like, Chris, he's like, you know, people respond to two types of things. You can use the front of your hand or you can use the back of your hand. Right. And you can force people and you can demand and you can, you know, and forcibly use it. And that would be the back of the hand, or you can use the front of your hand. And that is show people, you know, and care for them and, and have and, and kindly show them and guide them uh, to a more kind of, you know, conservation minded way. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because the responses from both of those ones out of fear. Right. And the other ones out of mindset shift where you're trying to encourage and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off like you're saying. And then now it, you have a person who's not only 
an active participant, yeah, but had had kind of went through that maturation process. And when they do, they become advocates for the fishery, right? And it's it's not off-putting because some people just by simply using the backhand method will just simply catch and keep more fish mm-hmm. just out of spite for you, right? It's like being um, born again. I was born again yeah. when I was a little kid, but it's like having Jesus in your heart. <laughs> yes, sir. No, for real. It is. You get that. Maybe I watched it happen to my brother. It's amazing. He's a total advocate about catch and release. Still eats him, but he'll never kill a big one again. Just mm-hmm. he can't. He'd feel bad yeah. if he did it. He killed one accident. He'd feel bad, and before he that he just throw him in the grass. It's amazing. <laughs> it's awesome to hear uh, again from a person uh, who's one been around and and fished at the highest level, right? I mean, as a person who loves to fish, I would love to fish uh, for a living and 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 do that. And how blessed uh, you are, but also mm-hmm. seeing it at that high level, you know, sharing those thoughts you know, about conservation and, and I really appreciate that, Aaron. I really do. I love that you guys are doing what you're doing is we can definitely help each other out. There's definitely ways to fix this. And, uh, like I said, the California way is too extreme and the Texas ways right now, the best way I can see they're doing a really great job. That's cool. That's so cool. We can here. fix it. We can fix it. Yeah. Educate so, people. That's all we need to do. Okay. We'll, we'll keep, try to keep doing and it. Poli- and, keep- and police them. <laughs> There has to be a place you can go to. Yeah, I'm with you. This season, we'd like to recognize one of our newest sponsors, and that is Down South Lures. From their regular 4-inch Southern Shad to the 5-inch Supermodel and versatile 3-inch Burner Shads, it's easy to see why these baits have become a go-to for many Texas anglers. Designed with their unique hybrid tail, its natural swims-in-the-fall action produces big trout not only here in the Texas coast, but across all estuaries. Aside from that though, they're made right here in the USA. So be sure to support this Texas brand that supports you in pursuit of that next big bite. Humbly started making shirts for a few local fishermen. Rooted in simplicity and utility, Reel's minimalist approach is a reflection of what binds the fishing industry together. Now found throughout many coastal retailers, their lineup of comfortable, and functional gear aims to make your time in the water a success. So next time you're gearing up, wear what guides wear and consider real sportswear. Mirror Lore is an iconic inshore fishing lure company found in every angler's arsenal. From their legendary lineup of lures such as the Top Dog and Catch 2000 to their versatile soft plastics like the Little John and Marshmallow, these lures not only catch fish, but have produced for decades. So whether it's a 17MR or a Paul Brown Cerise Fat Boy, always remember to tie on a mirror lure and turn on the bike. Texas Custom Lures and the original Custom Corky have been podcast sponsors for the first two seasons and we're incredibly appreciative. This Texas brand with inputs from the most respectable guides across the Texas coast complete every big trout angler's arsenal. With great fish catching colors, my personal favorite's Texas Turnip, Bay Mistress, Plum Nasty, to name a few. It's easy to see how these things produce time and time again. So next time you're targeting that next big bite, I highly encourage you to fish the original Custom Corky. And remember, the big girls aren't colorblind. Hey, I want to shift gears a little bit, kind of to our original conversation or initial conversation, and that was kind of, you know, hey, let's talk about some tackle, right? And And the biggest thing for, you know, 
our listeners, uh, and then obviously having you on here. Um, and I think obviously nobody, nobody better to, to communicate this, but, you know, from a saltwater angling side, not placing a tremendous amount of emphasis on our equipment, on our gear, on our line diameter, on our reel ratios and stuff like that, and how dialed in, uh, you guys are. And so, um, again, can you share about kind of your approach and, and how you've kind of come to, you know, learn more about that stuff and why that's important? Um, can you share any of that? I mean, finding fish? Well, yeah, finding fish, but yeah, <laughs> even just dialing in, just dialing water, waterways, waterways. Well, all- no, not only that, but like more so your gear, you know, yeah. in terms of technique. Oh, it's uh, I mean, a lot of places you go. I mean, I'm sure you guys experience eelgrass. We have a lot mm-hmm. of that now too, and that's frustrating stuff. And I mean, I, I don't, I, I've been called a natural for years, and nature boy. That's my first nickname, hog snatcher. <laughs> but that's uh, because I've never really done any computers i used to just go to the lake and figure it out i've always been like that mm-hmm. like in major, major league fishing is that's how i've always fished i can mm-hmm. honestly say that i've gone fishing maybe three or three people that were on a lake that i fished them because they're my good friends and that's the only reason i did it. i was like that was like a, a year before but otherwise like finding like research and stuff that's actually a good method but i never really do that uh, i just go to a lake and i see you know, as soon as we see water we're we're all we're all like the same way. We all start staring at it, especially when <laughs> yeah. you're major league fishing. Somebody's driving for you. You're like, oh, it's a cup event. And you're like trying to see water and you finally see it and you're trying to figure things out immediately. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, it's being a fisherman, you look at everything, bird nests, mm-hmm. you know, offspring nests. So birds are really important. I know in saltwater and yeah. And uh, water clarity is huge. Water Bank. temperatures, very large, like water temp. Mm-hmm time of year you know right now we're at a warming so i mean your fish are probably getting ready to spawn i'm not sure what the trout do but you know bass are obviously getting really close around here yeah but and uh, and it's about the yeah it's about yeah wind direction wind direction is huge you know especially in the spring because you have fronts and i'm sure it's Mm -hmm. the same for trout but probably more vast it probably blows them further but -hmm. like fish will uh it's funny like this thing's like knowing that warm water floats and the wind blows that way with the warm water that doesn't seem like it's going to be warm over there, but it is because the wind's been blowing for two days that direction. And it's amazing. That can make a huge difference in bass fishing because mm-hmm. the, the mass of the water is it's like, you know, five degrees warmer on that side of the lake. And paying attention, I'm not sure how the spawn works on trout, but that's huge for bass. Just, I mean, day by day, just conditions, uh, what bank I should be fishing, which angle, which sun angle, which, you know, watching the conditions, it's, that's all we do. I mean, if you're, I've taught to like Wheeler, Jacob Wheeler, the guys that really do well, we talk a lot. And the guys that really figure things out fast are usually real, real similar on the approaches to like, yeah. like we always like, one of the first things we do, oh, like the guys are kind of crazy. We always run to the water and look at it. <laughs> yeah. I want to see how far I can see. And then, uh, yeah, a lot of times, uh, you know, a lot of times figuring a lake out too is trolling motor or just looking, not even mm-hmm. fishing. A lot of times, you know, in grass and stuff, it's hard, it's hard to get a bait through or it's clear why fish when you can actually see and just go look for them. I'm sure you guys experienced that waiting, yeah. walking or fishing shallow flats, looking for tails or absolutely fins and stuff. It's, I mean, you bass do that too. They'll, I mean, it's constantly like, especially uh, this time of year, you look constantly looking for little bulges or lifts or movement or bait skipping or anything. Mm-hmm. 
as our fish are getting ready, they're making beds already, females are staging. But I know red, uh, the trout are different, and then redfish are actually kind of similar to largemouth more than trout. Mm-hmm. They're actually kind of staged and do the same things that you know, group up and males will come in and just different, just different. But Yeah, that's cool. I mean, so, I mean, a couple of things as you're talking there is, you know, things that I'm kind of like you, I like to have, I like to let instinct kind of take over. Yeah. And, and I talked, you know, my dad's been on a podcast. He's my, so this is our second season. He's been our podcast opener for both seasons. And the reason for that is because he's my dad. Right. And so I love my yeah. dad and he's, awesome. a, he's a phenomenal trout fisherman. Right. And so, yeah. but we were talking, he's got great instinct, like great fishing instinct. He's 78 years old. So he's grown mm-hmm. up obviously, and he's developed that instinct over the course of his life. Yeah. And fishing in. with him, it's funny to kind of see his instinct just yeah. come into play, right? And all yeah. of a sudden a bite will just fizzle and and he knows why, but yeah. he knows what adjustment to make based off of whatever conditions. And that's what, you know, experience not only gives you, but having just good instinct. And so as you're talking, you know, little things like wind direction um, and, and prevailing wind direction for maybe a mm-hmm. couple of days, Yeah, uh, obviously water and that Im- impact on water clarity, water temperature, moon. Don't um, forget that. Don't forget that big white thing in the sky either. <laughs> yeah, no, right. That one that's white at night. That one, the, that one plays factors big time. Bait so, I'm glad you brought that up. I, 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 that was actually a question. I'll just jump into it right here. Okay. Uh, we play, or, or particularly in the trophy trout world or the big trout world, they're very, very unique. They, they, they feed specific. They their behavior is very different. Even if you see them, they're very difficult to catch sometimes, but when the feeding window opens mm-hmm. and you can throw uh, a big pen in there and they'll, yeah. they'll friggin' eat it, you know? And so yeah. how much, uh, stock do you guys on the bass side put into like salooner tables and moon phase? If you're a good fisherman, a lot, <laughs> you better. I mean, there's I'll... like guys like Kevin and Jacob Wheeler, they know what the moon's doing. They know if it's getting full or fading. Mm-hmm. as they're watching it yeah. and they're and they're paying attention to the calendar too and they're paying attention to the weather changes you know this year's been weird we're like a month behind mm-hmm. i mean the weather is funky right now it's definitely it behind is. and it's okay it's, it's those are adjustments you can't adjust fully a month but for bass fishing you gotta adjust at least a couple weeks <laughs> yeah yeah so there's adjustments there and a lot of this is you know watching the weather and 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 that water temperature is huge. And that water temperature fluctuates, of course. If you have one big cold front, it dropped 10, 15 degrees overnight. So we've been dealing with mm-hmm. a lot of that. And that, that'll throw a wrench in it for all yeah. fishermen, <laughs> no matter yeah. what type of fishing for. Yeah. But so lunar tables, like yeah. you know, feeding times, majors, minors, do y'all put any stock into I'll, that and how y'all oh, set yeah. up the tournament? I, mean, I think the tide affects the freshwater fish a little bit too. Well, really? I mean, that's what it is. It's it's also, yeah. it's mainly the, the light at night, but... It's also the the you know, probably the less pressure. I mean, that moon pulls and pushes, so you're gonna get those little little minors and majors during the day. But a lot of it, and the most, the majority of it is caused by the nighttime. So mm-hmm. usually, typically for us, a week for the full moon is usually the best week you got of the month. That's funny. Yeah, I, week so before. The, so that's part of kind of what we do as well as we actually study that, right? I mean, we're we're very nerdy here at Speckle Truth, and oh yeah. Bass Over the last year, too, fishing. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you can empathize. But um, no, man. Over like the last, I think, three or four years, we've been collecting what we call citation data. In other words, like fish over a certain size, which we would classify as like a trophy. So 27 inches is like a six and a half, 
It's a big one. Uh, yeah, or, or yeah, it could be upwards of eight. It depends on kind of their diet and stuff like that. But typically, that's kind of like a mark. Then the magical mark is 30 inches. If you catch a 30-inch fish, it's like catching a double-digit bass. Uh-huh. Um, so, but we've been collecting that citation data for three years, and we've been trying to just see if there's patterns, see if there's, you know, and, and using the catch data to kind of maybe dictate some of that pattern. And we've seen a lot of that pattern really kind of be a coefficient of, you know, a new or a full moon in those kind of higher period times of when those bigger fish are caught come typically in what you just described as right before a full moon and or right before a new moon. So it's funny to hear that there is a parallel between the fresh and the saltwater world, you know, with they big are. bats. They're, they're, you know? they're, they're similar. I think they all kind of feel the same thing at night. They're, yeah, they're out there in the elements all the time. They just, they all experience, they all kind of react the same way to it. Mm-hmm. And you got, you know, obviously you guys have cities with lights and that, that messes bass fishing up too. It messes up the moon phases on the bass because mm-hmm. you have, you may have Chicago or some big city. It's always lit up at night. And then that area is kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah. it just, it, it's just weird thing. It, fishing by cities is kind of funny. You have constant light. Cause I grew up in California a lot. Mm-hmm. The moon phases aren't as effective. They don't know as as much affect the fish as the ones that are where you get real dark. Yeah. So it's definitely moon. The moon affects them. They feed at night and bait moves and then they catch onto that. And yeah, it's funny. The redfish or the speckles are the same as the bass. They're, uh, it's probably a 30 inches rare, but that's probably just a mature fish. Oh, super rare. Uh, I mean, so, but they just get to a certain size and there's just, they're running the gauntlet. Somebody catches, you know, eventually somebody's going to keep it before it gets, Two thirds is full of potential. That's kind of bass fishing. Yeah, and it's the same. So a thirty inch fish is really what we yeah. would classify percentage wise as like one half of one percent of all the fish literally yeah. on the coast. And so, you know, we're kind of seeing that with our catch data too. Is that you know we we have a pretty large reach, about six million people we reach a year. So we have a, a fairly large reach, but you know, of all those anglers fishing, and not everybody knows about our citation program, but the most we've had in a year, 30 inch trout or larger, uh, was I think 93. And that's, that's across nine different States. So no, you know, no, doesn't that, that, doesn't that kind of tell you that's kind of like bass. They're the same way. Like you, I haven't caught a 10 pounder in years, but it tells you that maybe they, maybe a, a maximum size limit, like a slot limit would be really mm-hmm. beneficial to all fisheries. Yeah. So, you know, you catch a trophy, you take a picture of it, you can't keep it, even in a tournament. I'm fine with that. I'd be fine catching a 10-pounder, well, my tournament. Even if I was fishing bass still, I'd be fine having to let go of 10-pounder being too big and it can't weigh it in if that fish mm-hmm. would live. Because if we can get that done, our lakes would be, our, all the rivers and lakes would be amazing. We'd yeah. be catching a 10-pounder every day, 30-inch Caught yep. every day. I mean, all of us would. It's just amazing. I think that could actually happen, but it's not going to with the with our limits being kind of unlimited. And we're like starting to see, yeah, we're starting to see more states kind of adopt that slot mentality, even beyond like you're saying, kind of take it one step further. And that's something that we've had some, you know, local dialogue here in Texas with some of kind of the super in tune, highly respected anglers along the coast, um, where. Yeah. So there's, you can keep five per day, uh, four of them. Let me rephrase that. You keep five per day. Only one of the five can be over 25 inches. We're seeing like Alabama. California. Yeah. Yeah. Alabama's like the same where you can only keep 
uh, I think it's from like 15 to 23 uh, with one over, I think 23. Um, and so we're starting to see uh, a lot of the, if Florida is the same way. In There's a lot of lakes in California have been doing that for 20 years. Yeah. I, and but, I've watched, I've watched it help, but it doesn't, it doesn't help enough. And on yeah, lakes, but, on small lakes, but maybe different on the ocean or bigger lakes. But like you're saying though, per day, right? And, and yeah. so if you just did not necessarily per day, but it, maybe like a tagging system or like a tag system where uh-huh. if you yeah, like, were to like catch, you could get like five tags per year, which means you could keep five trout over X size or five bass over X size per year in that particular state, as opposed to harvesting one over that size per day per angler, you know, that even though you, you might have a group of four people fishing, you all catch, you know, one fish over 25, well, you've all harvested, you know, one fish over 25 that day, as opposed to, I don't want to well, use that tag. I, I might save that for a 30 inch fish or something like that, or, you know, or just make it so you can't keep one over 30 inches, period. <laughs> I like that better. <laughs> or that. I'd like to see how big the bass would get in some of our lakes out here, like Coosa River, or, you know, a 25 inch limit on spots or something. You can't keep one over 25 inches. That'd be just, because mm-hmm. it'd be a seven or eight pounder, you know, you're not going to, you wouldn't, uh, that would be a terrible fish to keep, but that, it just, it works so well in some of our fisheries because mm-hmm. those but fish spawn so well. And they're, like you said, they're more mature. They, they've been around longer. They, they protect the spawn so much better. They're so much better at protecting their spawn too. Mm-hmm. Now females don't protect, but like I said, males even, there's just so much to be learned about fishing. Cause I mean, like I said, a mature male bass is much bigger than people think mm-hmm. five, six pounds. Yeah. But even then though, I mean, for, you know, a guy who doesn't do that every day, that's a big fish or it's a big bass, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, and on a trout world, I mean, you know, a guy, I caught, I think it was 15 trout over 27 last year, which is a pretty good year. Okay. Um, it's not a great year. I mean, there's way better fishermen out there that, that have much better. No, production. don't say that. You're fine. But no, no. But my point is, is like, um, yeah, I mean, it'd be really cool to see you know, those bigger fish kind of being a little bit more protected. Now, sadly, you know, on a trout side, they're, they're kind of nearing the end of their life where they're starting to get that big. Their lifespan is, I think, 10, 10 to maybe 15 years max. Um, and so I don't know how long, you know, bass live, but, um, typically when you start to kind of get that old, they're they're longer than others. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Maybe one gets the right genes and lives longer than others. That'd be the right one to keep and breed yeah but those 25s and above obviously clearly have good genetics yeah they need to contribute to the fishery to same on the bass side yeah, yeah they're the ones that that got that big fur reason and you know all, not all the bass are equal and then that's why i mean if you just get to where you can't keep it one that giant i know that 30 inch would be considered a giant on the trout side or oh yeah a 10 pound on the bass side and you know that's just it'd be i always thought of that it'd just be it'd be it would just it'd fix everything yeah. If they if they actually made it through, you couldn't keep it on a tournament or put in a libel or eat it, and it just it would fix all the problems they have. I think hmm. that's interesting to hear. Um, so you know a little bit about um, or we're going back to to technique, I guess. Like what you kind of alluded to it. I think what is like your go to technique on your side? Oh, it really what depends. Feels so. like your bread and butter. I mean, in the wintertime, I like my little sujin bait, which is scrounger bait I made. Uh-huh. Okay. That's one of my favorites because it catches, it's like a li- having a live fish. You can, uh-huh. you know, different sizes, they can make a fish any size. 
uh, that's what I like to go to a lot of times in the colder months when it's mm-hmm. tough and been pressured and like the pressure never stops for our lakes now. It's, it was all year. Like they had tournaments throughout December and January, it never slowed down. So it changes, but a really good search bait for like searching. I mean, it really is swim baits. Or I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know fishing red, uh, this trout and stuff. I found that that little sujin's really good. They like that thing a lot, mm-hmm. as it's like having a fish and trout eat fish yep. a lot. So it's it's actually a really good bait. And I've I haven't really done well on like shock blades or something like that, like a bladed jig. But mm-hmm. like I said, the top waters and the and the jerk baits are probably the, about the best thing I've thrown. And then you guys throw that little shrimp thing. What's yeah. that called? That Berkeley? What everybody throws oh, the gulp, the gulp thing. Everybody yeah, throws. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't. So admittedly, I don't throw a lot of that. That it's stuff. like cheating. Now, I, throw I don't know a lot. why they eat it so well. I, I had a guy that had some, and I was throwing all my stuff, and he pulled some of that stuff out. I was like, "That's not fair." <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's funny. But no, I mean, like you know, little small swim baits. Yeah, um, I mean, a swim bait on a spinning rod, braid, floral leader. I mean, same stuff we do for freshwater. Just something easy yeah. you can fire out there that maybe they're eating small bait. I, th- I throw a swim bait a lot for searching, and uh, I mean that's like a finesse way of kind of fishing i mean i throw a drop shot like i said for search and if it's tough they're not biting moving baits but i don't know how they uh i thought i actually thought a, a drop shot would have been your go-to it would be it would, well I, that is a uh, definitely on the deck of the boat especially this time of year all the time mm-hmm. i would not fish anywhere this time of year without a drop shot even down in louisiana really <laughs> yeah now, what about like uh, like big, big heavy jigs? Obviously, when you're punching or something like that. I mean, Swim do you jigs. feel pretty co- confident, you know, doing all that stuff, like big flipping hooks and all that stuff? Oh yeah, I'll be doing that probably in another couple of weeks at Rayburn. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm finally. Yeah, it's like my one of my favorite ways of fishing is been fishing. It's been like the big weight flipping. Uh-huh. This is so hands on, and I'm I'm a physical angler. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you guys have heard I'm fighting cancer, so that part I'm not as physical as I used to be. I'm kind of been struggling with that but yeah we're staying there we're staying strong sure sure now what what events are you fishing uh I'm fishing the major up? leagues uh-huh. and i actually fished that flw at gunnersville not too long ago and it was really really cold and that wasn't fun <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i didn't yeah. practice i just went there and fished it I, I thought it'd be fine but physically i was fine i had my treatments right, right before that so i was kind of like cold but it was like what 14 degrees when i launched the boats oh that first morning it was terrible and i you know i'm on t- i'm on a chemo treatment so it's mm-hmm. take one every night and every two weeks so oh it just it weakens you yeah it makes you weak so i'm just i'm struggling with that and i know you guys are praying for me i love you guys and absolutely we're fishermen we all care for each other and, and most fishermen are good i mean 99.9 percent of us are good people i mean there's like a maybe a little less than that but there's gonna be a bad apple here and there yeah and we just, like I said, it's watch for them. And if we can catch them, I mean, they do a lot of damage. You'd be amazed how much mm-hmm. some of the bad apples could yeah. do from what I've seen. I've seen freezers full, you know, 600 pounds of bass in a freezer before. It's not Goodness. cool. So they, they just a few guys can do a lot of damage. That's, I think that's what we're kind of running into with fresh and salt is just some yeah. bad apples that are going out there and abusing it and keep our eyes open. That's what I do. I just, like I said, I've called and just remember to just, if you see something suspicious, you know, it's, it helps neighborhood watch. Yeah. But, um, uh, if you want to get back to fish questions, that's fine. I, I don't know how that flipping would work for the trial. I've never seen. Oh, no, no, no. Just, <laughs> no, no, absolutely Maybe a lipless. Not. I mean, a little lipless. I, it seems like it'd be a really good bait, like a, like a trap or I call them lipless cause I use yeah. realis baits, but they're some sort of lipless seems like it'd be a, 
no brainer yeah. for trout because it no, vibrates look, it's like a little so i was actually going to say um you know a lot of what i do is you know i've i feel like i've i've brought a lot of on the on the freshwater side over to the salt not just me specifically but i've learned a lot of those techniques to bring mm-hmm. over you oh, know yeah. fishing underspins fishing tokyo yeah. rigs fishing bladed uh, you know, not bladed yeah. jigs but like you know, net rigs and, and sure, and jerk jig would work when it's maybe you get really dirty water and a weird yeah. wind blows for a while. I bet they would eat a blade jig. Yeah, it's no, all absolutely. about feel. And they get to the point where they can't feel or see anything. And that's yeah. that's kind of what we go to in, the, in those situations. That blade yeah. jig, but like glide baits, I throw swim glide jig. baits. How about a swim yeah, jig? throw like mag drafts, like seven inch, you know, oh, line yeah. throughs and stuff like that. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that the funny thing is, is like obviously these are all kind of techniques developed refined kind of made for the freshwater industry transcending across gone back and forth for years yeah yeah have have you guys seen on a freshwater side any sort of um transition from a saltwater bait to that you've brought to the freshwater market that's all i've really seen really i think of a freshwater method is i mean drop shot it's been used for years in saltwater you can't really say that (laughs) no but i'm I'm talking about is there a is there a the saltwater method? Yeah, is there a saltwater technique or or a bait specifically there's that fresh... was developed for saltwater yeah. that has transcended? Oh well, yeah, there's lots. Of, there's a, I mean, the swim bait's probably the biggest one. Okay, the large swim baits because that's like something we actually the tour to stuff that we actually use in the old days. Like mm-hmm. for like when I was a saltwater guy, I mean, not guy, but I worked on a saltwater boat and I saltwater fished for years before I freshwater fished. Tour tubes, you know, those big giant white tubes, and then the yeah. big Worm King swim baits, and then the hammer tails, uh, yeah, hammers that we used to use on the West Coast. We started we just kind of mess around the freshwater with them. We had stripers and bass, but they started catching bass on them. And that's I kind of remember that is weird. Is like that transition from catching bass on normal baits to catching them on, you know, eight, 10 ounce baits. So I remember it happening. Hmm. And it started with Worm King. I'm pretty sure that that's when and it probably happened out here too. About the same, the Worm King stuff. Yeah, we use in saltwater the real big ones, ten inch. You know, the real big, big ones. Sure. They started throwing them in the freshwater. And bass loved them. Hmm. It was like it was like it was it was all like a couple of years. We had just trout plants too, though. That kind of made it obvious what to do. <laughs> you know, I was gonna say yeah, like right there in the Delta, I mean, <laughs> obviously Huddleston's and 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 baits like that with big giant profile. Yeah. You know, you know, big rainbow replicas and stuff like that. Um, obviously we don't use, well, let me rephrase that. There's nobody who's really crossed that over yet using an eight, 10 inch, you know, yeah. rainbow or, or, or a trout imitation, it's not, like a hood. It's not practical. It's not practical. <laughs> right. But, but I have used some pretty large glide baits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those have, those have been productive. Uh, again, that yeah, seven like inch mag drive. Yeah. The glide baits and stuff. It's really particular too. the time of year is a time of year when like the line through seem to shine. Mm-hmm. There's a time when like the glide baits in the shine. There's also a time when the like the lead head, like putting a lead head on a bait seems to be yeah. better early spring and then warmer months. And then like mm-hmm. early spring, like now beginning now to like when the fish got on beds, the line through seem to be really good for our bass fishing. Okay. And then now, once the water warms up, you tend to go to the lead head more and then earlier in the year it's the lead head. But yeah. then in the summertime, a lot of times I will throw a, a line through for a bass. But like, this is a time of year right now, really, for us. It's going to reach a, I usually around the, right around the spawn for us, the line, the bigger swim baits. The bigger baits seem to be the best hmm. when the females are moving up. And it's what they're eating too, I guess. I mean, it, it yeah. really is. 
what they're, they're just... craving, size of bait. And yeah, out here you can see what they're chasing a lot of times in the summer. Yeah, it's harder in the winter time on this. You know, it's not as noticeable. I'm sure it happens with the trout. You can't. A lot of times, the only way to tell is if they regurgitate something or you see like some predation going on. But otherwise, it's tough in the winter because it, you know things are quiet basically, and you don't know what they're eating. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe shrimp for you guys or crawdads for us, yeah. uh, and then you know they go from shad to crawdads. It seems like, and then it, if you don't catch that little change it can make a big difference you know there's a big difference yeah. in shad and crawdad we, if there's a crawdad run happening and you better be throwing a lipless or something that resembles a crawdad because mm-hmm. they, they spawn seen, and they kind of move yeah i was gonna say because we've seen specifically for trout again you would think that you'd almost downsize in a winter uh here on the texas coast but we've actually yeah. almost seen it go the opposite way where you know, oh. uh, we've seen a lot of those bigger fish being caught on bigger profile baits. And it kind of makes sense because like, you know, the fish that have kind of spawned earlier in the year have now grown up. The Everything that's kind of small has either died out or moved offshore or something like that, right? Yeah. And so those fish have kind of adapted their, you know, feeding behavior and kind of looking for something larger. They're, they're looking to eat once, you know, yeah. absorb those calories, kind of lay down for a bit and then kind of get back after it. But we found like in the spring, summer, downsizing works really well huh. um particularly like a ned rig yeah. ned rig's like dominant for me in, in the spring summer because a lot of it you know you have a ton of small fry you have yeah, a lot of fry. you know hatch you know and so it, it's kind of funny seeing that kind of transition yeah to your point which is you know just being mindful of kind of what's going on in your fishery um and in adapting those behaviors now i know you're obviously duo uh in realis and in you know, those jerk baits and, and actually I have a few. And, and so when I, you know, when you agreed to come on the show, I'm like, Oh my God, it's amazing. And, and I didn't realize like I have a whole pegboard mm-hmm. uh, here full of lures and I, again, throw a ton of jerk baits and, yeah. and one of them's the duo realis 110 SP and it's got your, <laughs> it's got your uh, face one, on it. Yeah, and the 120 is my favorite. Is it really? And they make a 130 now. It's phenomenal. That's even better. Yeah. But the 120 has a different action. I think the, the 100 is a really cool, uh-huh. it's like a faster bait. Yeah. It's uh, two hooks on it, but it's it's a quicker, it's a smaller profile, and it's a little bit faster. It actually works really good all year. I, I catch them all year, but that 120 is like a, it's it'd be a, probably a good trout bait because it's very durable and it, mm-hmm. it has a weight transfer in it, and it's somewhat silent when the bearing when the bearing locks in the front. Mm-hmm. It's more of a silent, more so. It's more it moves more and has more sight. The 110 is actually a real loud bait. Mm-hmm. And 110 is actually the loudest bit they make. It's got a lot of beads in it, but the 120 is actually almost pr- practically silent. Yeah. That's my favorite, the 120. I have a, okay. But yeah, little jerk baits are good. Little, like even the small stuff. Like if you're, if you guys want something to, uh, one thing you should try is a, the 77 Rosante. I'm just saying. Okay. It's called a Rosante. <laughs> okay. 77 Rosante. It's the best. It's a better than, I used to use pointers a lot in the old days when I was used by one, Lucky Craft. and. Uh-huh. Rapalas. I went through them all. This the pointer the the Rosante seventy seven is the best small jerk bait ever made. Okay, I throw Love it on in the left, but it is a simple looking bait. It's kind of fat. It throws really really good, but I mean the movement in it, like you guys would love it. I, that's why I've actually caught most of my trout on. My last few times I've gone, where I was ponds by reals. I actually threw that bait, and it actually worked really well for me. Mm-hmm. But it, it moves really good. It casts really good. It's kind of a heavy little bait, but it suspends, but it's phenomenal. Okay. 
the Rosanti yeah. series, but the 77 is actually my favorite small drip bait. Since you're talking about small drip baits, that's a, I mean, it's, it's, it's been times when I've had guys in my boat, they couldn't get bit on a pointer or, or another lucky or yeah. lucky craft or something. And they were, that's usually really good. I was smoking them on the Rosanti like bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's been like that ever since I've been using it. That's Rizzoni, cool. That's my best thing I can tell you guys. Rosani Sunday Seven and Nitro. The Nitro trap's really good too. That what, little Nitro a, lipless. The Nitro. What's a dive? Yeah, no. What's a dive depth on that? And on the Rosante, like they make a sixty-six. I think they make the Sunday Seven's like a three feet. Okay. It's a shallow three to five feet. You throw it on light line, but I throw it on like most of the time I throw it on like ten pound braid, eight pound leader. Uh huh. I'll do like ten pound braided line and do like a you know eight or ten feet or four feet of eight or 10 pound, even the same. Mm. And uh, it, it gets down there about three or four feet. But it throws, what, it throws really good. You need a shallow bait, don't you? A lot of times, like one to two feet. We do. And so the way I've been able to do that, cause I throw like a lot of mega bass vision one tens. I yeah. throw again, a lucky craft pointers and, um, shadow wrap, shadow wrap shads. I mean like, uh, Jack range, I'm a flitz, all that stuff. Right. But mm -hmm. the way I've been able to kind of get away with using those baits in such a shallow column, um, in, in, is really just increasing the size, the line diameter yeah, size. So I, I fish honestly on like 20, 25 pound mono yeah. just to keep that bait way up. That's what I do in the 20 in Florida on the, on the 10, that old 10 I was talking about, I throw on 25 a lot or the, uh -huh. or the 120 that you have to sometimes just to get the bait a foot or two shallower. But yeah. the Rosani did it, it. Yeah. There's uh the stick baits are good too. Like the, I know Reals makes some, but the longer skinnier baits tend to, Stay shallower, mm -hmm. and changing hook size helps too. Sometimes it go lighter, like smaller hook will lessen the depth. But yeah, line size is the number one way of kind of lifting it. Yeah, you know, instead of using ten pound braid, you might only use like sixteen pound braid with a so, yeah, twelve pound I, liter, fourteen so pound I, liter. Yeah, I use twenty pound uh, Suffolk yeah. eight thirty two, and then I put that twenty or twenty five. Depends if yeah. if there's a lot of water in a column, and and like we've had like a bull tide or something like that. And yeah. I'm looking to get that bait down. I will throw it on like a 15 pound fluoro or something like that to try to just really get it yeah, down. And you guys have, your fish have teeth and they never know what's up, but you're in this travel for your line pretty good too. So yeah, oh, yeah. that's the best way. Usually is a heavier leader, a heavier braid that gets shallow, but that Rosanti might work for you guys. I know I threw it last time in Florida for the trout and they're eating it pretty good. We're in four okay. to five feet of water and I was having good luck with it. Yeah. Not like, and that was kind of my opening question, which probably didn't phrase very well, but you know, when you're on tour and, and again, when you're dialing in that bite, how, how focused are you on different line diameter sizes and, and different, you know, uh, well, again, I used to be the, the, lengths and stuff I like that. the biggest freak of all. I always have been, but that's where I had to change my tactics is I always spend so much time on it and I, you know, I get four or five hours sleep a night, which is really bad for your brain. So I can't do that no more. <laughs> So yes, I used sir. to, just, I mean, I just, I was always like that one. I mean, I would, if it was two pounds too heavy, I'd change it, but I'm not like that anymore. If it's like 14, I want 12 pound, I'll keep the 14 on there a lot of times. Okay. But in some situations where it's, you know, more particular, it can, you know, two pounds can make a big difference in line to, mm -hmm. and kitten bites. And so a lot of times it's not the, it's not that, you know, a lot of, you know, people have maybe started fishing, just getting into fish may think it's the line that scares them, but it's, more the, well, you know, it's more the, actually the action of the bait that kind of responds to the line that kind of makes you get a bit better or less. Mm -hmm. Like the heavier line with the jerk bait kind of keeps the bait shallower. A lot of times heavier line is just better because, you know, you got 
durability, but plus it, you got more control over the bait. So a lot of times mm-hmm. I actually go heavy, heavier. I always kind of have, I use heavier line than a lot of people, and unless it's braid, I've always tied a really good knot. So I actually use a lot of light braids because I, I flip a 20 and 30 a lot, which is unheard of for like Kevin yeah. or, or all these other guys I fish against. It's funny. They grow, they can't believe I fish that light of braid, but I tie a really good knot. You can't break the pound braid. Uh, uni. Like the uni oh, for the oh, yeah, connection. Yeah, yeah. Uni yeah. to, and I do a double, the double, double the line so it's a loop. And I, you know, that's, that's usually, that seems to be the best knot that I've ever used is a four, a double, you know, a double it, pinch it, run it through, do four wrap, to a four wrap uni. And I can't find it. I can't find a better one. I'll do a single sometimes in real light line, but the double is phenomenal. And FG yeah. for the, FG for the, the leaders, leader lines. Okay. So you do use, okay, got it. Uh, yeah. But the uni, or the uni, uni is the second best one. I did that. I tried the crazy Alberta for years, but if I was going to do another knot, because the crazy, the uni, so, or the Albright so tough, uh-huh. I'll do a, a, you blood knot, blood knot, or not blood to blood, but I'll do uni to uni. That seems like a pretty good one. Yeah. But nothing as good I found is that Albright. Okay. Okay. Now, um, like other, other, oh, no, I'm sorry. Baits. I said Albright. FG, I'm, I'm confusing you guys. FG. FG, I found yeah. the best, the best connection. Not. Okay. That's good. So, admittedly, I actually do that's a double a uni. Yeah. That's, on a, that's a on good a one. But yeah. The thing leader. You FG is, is superior, but it's a hard one. Yeah. It's not easy. But once you get it right, it's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It'll last forever <laughs> until <laughs> you run out of line, until you run out of leader. It's just never weakens. Yeah, sure. Now, I mean, like for, again, trying to develop a little bit more of that jerkbait game, is there something I'm maybe not thinking of or, or, um, you know, I mean, I'm, it's, you know, it's, there's times you twitch, there's times you jerk, you know, this, it changes daily, you know, today mm-hmm. might be a jerk day and an hour later might be a twitch day. So just getting your twitches right in the pause, you know, your, your mm-hmm. twitch is how much you move the bait at a time is really important. You know, a lot of times it's a jerk, jerk and a twitch, like get some or, mm-hmm. A jerk, jerk, a three, four second pause, and then a little twitch, and then let it sit for a second. And it's just a lot of things that are jerky. But, you know, a lot of times we're fishing, it's not like that. You know, when the once the water warms up, it's, it's more constant. Yeah. Just but, now, Do you throw them on bait casts or, or spinning? Both. But oh, I, okay. I prefer bait just because they're more leverage. But I like that little Rosanta. You can, can throw it on a bait cast or 77, but it's much easier on a spinning rod. Okay. So there's sometimes, but I, I prefer a jerkbait, high-speed reel and a seven-foot rod most of the time, medium, medium, heavy. I fish mm-hmm. a little heavier stuff most of the time because a lot, like the Reales baits have really good hooks on them, and, and I can pull a lot harder on them and not bend a hook or, or be worried about the hook bending out. Mm-hmm. Hooks are you, are so are you no longer now. with Reales? No, I'm with them. Oh, okay. I, I thought, yeah, I thought I heard you say but that. I didn't, anymore, say, but... I didn't say Megabass today. No, I wouldn't say that. No, uh, no, no, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> but their hook, their hooks. Uh, I, I still have my hook, my but the the hooks nowadays are so good. Like my Gamagatsu G Finesse treble hook, it's it's pretty awesome, and all the hooks are better nowadays. So you can actually pull a lot harder than we used to. Like say twenty years ago, I can pull way harder, fifty percent harder than I used to. Yeah, on everything, nope. spinning and bait casting. What's it? What's it like being like, <laughs> uh, like at that level, right where? having so much influence in terms of the tackle that I use, right? I mean, the jerk baits that I literally have on my wall were probably had some inspiration and or development from you. Like, what's it like being at that level, 
having so much influence over like some tackle or hooks or, or line or rods or reels and stuff like, like that. Walked into a hospital and like three people recognize you right away. You're like, are you an Martins? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this morning, get my MRI. Head. I get recognized by a nurse. I got two selfies right away. How That's cool, that? man. I don't look uh, what, that, what's that like? <laughs> Seriously. Well, it's humbling. It's, it's, it's neat. I've always been kind of humbled by it. I've always been trying to be, you know, it's tough when you're super busy and you have a bunch of kids walk up to you, but I've always been good about not turning kids down. And it's nice. Mm-hmm. It's nice, especially during the struggles I'm going through. You know, like sure. a lot of people are praying for you. So it's, it's, it's good. It's a big family. Like I said, fishing family is big, salt and fresh. We connect. Yeah. Now, like, in one, first off, I mean, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm very faith oriented. Uh, God, family, and fishing mm-hmm. is kind of my dad's mantra. It's what I grew up in. Yeah. And, and he said, son, in those orders, right? Or in That's that it. order. And, and so, certainly, you know, praying for you, man. But aside from that, like, uh, again, that just the, the influence that you have within the tackle industry in, in terms of that development. I mean, are they like, hey, Aaron, what are you thinking about, you know, this jerk bait? Or do you see something on the water and you're like, you know what, that would probably work. And then you go to Duo or Realis and say, hey, this works is... in both ways. Like the mm-hmm. Sujin bait. I didn't come up with the scrounger bait. That's, that's uh, what's the name waters? He, uh, that's like a 50-year-old idea. I just improved on it. <laughs> Yeah. I've, been, I've been using it since I was eight, seven years old, so I'm 48 now. So I got almost 40. I, got, I guess I have 40 years experience with this scrounger. I guess I have more probably than anybody on the planet. Because I did have a company called Air Martin's Lures. We actually just that's all we made is a scrounger, and then we kind okay. of lost that years ago. It got kind of stolen from us, which is a common in the fishing industry. <laughs> <laughs> but like nowadays, Picasso has been and Reales are just phenomenal. Like they with the 3D stuff and they can what they can pull off of a drawing is amazing. Like the Rhino head I make, yeah, and the Rhino Ned that's all off a drawing. The uh, Sujin is off a drawing, even though I carved it. The original one I carved with the okay. cylinder in the back that was actually off a of carving when I first made it. But nowadays, you just draw something and good a good you know good drawing. They can actually do measurements. You can actually do it, and they can't do it off a three D like a cat. They just go in there and print it. I can have yeah. a a drawing turn into a. I mean, let's <laughs> before COVID in a week, I could have a bait in my hand. Oh my god! But now it's like months because of COVID. Thanks, COVID. Yeah, I <laughs> know, yeah, right? None yeah, of us COVID. like COVID. <laughs> no, true. It we needs all, to end quickly. We all hate one thing, and that's COVID. And that Paris. is a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> very true but i mean how how awesome is that you know in terms of you know having that it's pretty neat and, and i, I had to say like i said picasso and reals have been i've been with other companies for years and they're just so quick i mean i thought like i said besides COVID, it's it's amazing what they can turn into a bait so fast mm-hmm. like even hard baits jerk baits you know crank baits it's so much easier now and then they do a little tweaks to it and then they, and they can get the tweaks back pretty quick it's actually, I, I actually was going to Japan every year until this year because of COVID and dealing with, I'm, uh, I've been really fortunate to go to Japan like three years in a row and then Megabass, I went to Japan with a bunch. And uh, the Realis place is awesome factory. Actually, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. I'm so fortunate and blessed to be able to 85 foot, 16 foot deep tank, 85 foot long, like 15 foot wide. This amazing stuff they have built for That's... fishing lures to, you know, 15 inch, uh, foot and a half plexiglass. Just built for being able to walk next to the bait while it's swimming. It's oh amazing. Gosh. I've been, I've yeah. been, I've been very blessed. It's for a person like a nerd like me to one of the larger fishing nerds on the planet. That is pretty fortunate, blessed. I'd be able to do all that. Yeah. Did you ever think you'd you kind of make it to that level? Start now. 
I don't know. I was so young when I started. I was like 14, 15. When you but started fishing? Point, I yeah, when I started, started saltwater. Yeah. So I was salt, freshwater fishing. I was like 14. But I like a saltwater fish. I was already thinking of fishing for a living when I was like seven or eight years old. <laughs> I was already Same. thinking that's what I wanted to do for a living. It's fish. Who's at Bassmasters and watching? I just, you know, you're never sure it's going to happen. But, you know, I, I had a really fortunate, blessed start. I mean, I like, you know, mom started fishing together and we fished teams for like five years together, longer than that. Now my mom it took me fishing. And yeah. uh, we started winning pretty quick. The second year we fished, we won angler year. And, and that was the second year we fished bass. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so they thought we that... were cheating. We thought we were cheating, but we were, I was a born again Christian. My mom was, we went to, that's all we did is go to church in California, different churches. So mm-hmm. I grew up in that environment, black churches, white churches, it didn't matter. She loved black churches. So I've been to a ton of black churches, which is really awesome because they, really worship uh you know with like you're supposed to and i grew up in that environment it's it's just funny yeah it's just funny yeah. to be where i'm at today it, it taught me a lot and uh yeah just be was, humble Love yeah was there no for sure was there somebody um you know when you were at that young age watching bass masters you know that young was there someone was there somebody you used to follow kind of religiously probably uh and fishing wise, probably number one was Rick Klein. Rick Klein, yeah, because he was older and he was did his style, and it looked like he looked like a guy that didn't get help. I just went out there and fished. Mm-hmm. And I even even younger, I thought a lot of guys weren't like that. Just and then experiencing in team tournaments, I was just amazed how many guys got information all the time. Yeah, and like I said, they I'm still called a natural, and I've had friends tell me I have to stop doing that because it's not the way anymore. But if you guys know me at all, you know I don't ever get help or information or even look at it on the internet. I don't yeah. think there's anybody else that does that in the fish, freshwater fishing industry. Hmm. I don't know of anybody. I know a few guys are close, but it's, yeah. I always thought it'd make you a stronger angler as, as far as I always thought if you rely on people, it's going to hurt your ability to figure things out. That's kind of how I always believed. And that figured in the long run, it'd help me. Yeah. It seemed to be helping me is, my uh, a few years ago, fifteen years, it's phenomenal year, and it was really working. It's just like the decisions were so quick, like, and I think that's what makes like their dad probably like he probably listens to people a little bit and dot top. He probably really just does it himself, and I think that's kind of what makes some anglers different. Well, I don't, his... I don't know what subject we're on, but I, I lose track sometimes. <laughs> no, well, one of his sayings growing up, and I've it's the way that I've fished was, uh, son, uh, don't read about the news, get out there and make the news. Yeah. And that was the way he approached yeah. fishing was again, Intel is Intel and you take it with a grain of salt, but yeah. until you get on the water and figure it out. And then once yeah. you start being able to figure it out and do it consistently, you don't need Intel. <laughs> you can do it yourself. So he was and, always like that to me. He was always one of those guys. You just look at him and how he fished. He was, uh, Oh, Rick Lund. Yeah. That's always, and I'd like to respect all the guys, but he was probably one of my favorites for sure growing up. What was it like fishing against him? Uh, he was awesome. One, yeah. Super nice guy. Very Is competitive he? though. Very, but not in a bad way. Like he was, he was, respect, he was respectful, but like, you know, Kevin, me and Kevin have banged heads a lot, but we're like great friends. I talk to Kevin almost every day. And damn, and he's extremely competitive, but we've run into each other lots of times, you know, Gerald Swindle and Ike Nelly. I mean, we've always bunt heads, but, you know, these guys are respectful. You respect each other. Yeah. There's no clashing. There's clashing, but there's no fighting. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. But I mean, it's, it's that competitive, you know, spirit yeah, that all you guys have, right? 
but yeah, you don't want to fish the same spot. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna find out how much you can fish and what the other guys gonna. I mean, you're not gonna break any rules, but there's it happens. Yeah, yeah, clashes. Right. So out of all the tourneys, like angle of the year, classic, you know, runner ups, and in in, is there a certain like event or memory that kind of stands out to 15, you the most? Fifteen. Yeah. Fifteen, huh? Fifteen was the year that I couldn't do wrong. Yeah. That's funny because I was this. That was a year. I mean, I couldn't do anything wrong. I was at the top of my, I guess, my sport at that time. Mm-hmm. That's the year I got AOI, but I got AOI with my. I mean, basically, I could have missed the last two tournaments. <laughs> Damn. Is this one of those years? Where I was just saying, I won. I had a huge year in money. I won. I forget mm-hmm. how many events I won, but I also got English year. Is this a stupid year? I think it's one of the highest tournament winnings of the of bass history. I just didn't do nothing no wrong. Kidding. That was my best. That was just like one of those years. Skeet had a year like that, but was, I think my winnings were like in bass were like three sixty or three thirty something stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Oh my! God. I just can't do wrong. I just I at that point is something popped in my head. I went, and yeah. sure enough, and it was you know, it was funny how that all was working out. That did second uh... guess myself and just went and did it and just. I even slept in the last tournament, and it still it didn't matter. I still got like fifth or sixth place in the last event, and I didn't even try. <laughs> I didn't even practice hard. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. That was my best. Yeah, I've had lots of good. You know, one have a suit on my mom's birthday or Mother's Day, which is, and she was at the event, which is amazing. There's been lots of amazing events, but that one probably stands out the most. Yeah, because it was an ALI, and it was just a year that I couldn't do wrong. So, so winning. Uh angle of the year and obviously doing that multiple times now. Um, but at that time, you know, let's say in 15, like how much does that like transcend you within the sport? You know what I'm saying? Like, obviously you're the best bass fisherman on the planet consistently. You know, I can't say uh, that. You can't though. Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, that's yeah. funny. Uh, I don't know. I know bass has kind of raced the records on MLF. So unless you actually see that event, you probably wouldn't know what happened that mm-hmm. year. Uh, but it's definitely helped. I mean, not that I care about that. I just want to yeah. fish. I love fishing. Yeah. That's what I do for a living. I'm still doing it. Man, and we're and it's certainly... shocking to a lot of my doctors. They were amazed I was even going to try. But my family is, is traveling with me to most of them. So I'm going to continue on. Hopefully, I, can, yeah. I mean, I pray, I pray for strength this year, but we're doing it. Yeah. Outside of fishing, though, Aaron, last question, man. Like, what, what what's uh, kind of one of your proudest moments outside of the sport of fishing? Well, besides my family, which is phenomenal, my wife and my personal angel. Proudest moment? Probably awesome marriage. I don't know. I promised God the last year, the you know, since the cancer started. I've always been a decent Christian. None of us are perfect, but I don't know if I have a proudest moment. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, uh, I'm on a, lots of weird adventures right now. It's uh, interesting, but I don't know. I just have to stay positive. And uh, I mean, we're here to, you know, we're here for God anyway. So it's, right. it's, it's all good. I'm just That's blessed awesome. to be here still and fighting along and still feel the way I do. Well, getting back, how many, uh, so how many events uh, you have left for the year? All of them, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I already no, kind man. of fished. I fished a couple. I fished a cup of it in Nepal. I wasn't supposed to talk about, it, but that's long and over with. 
Mm-hmm. So really just the season. Now, I'm not sure what's after that because we have to qualify for whatever comes next. But hopefully I can make some cup events and I hopefully I can, uh, and God gives me the strength to finish this uh, this whole year, Major League. How many events is that? Eight or nine. Okay, I was going to say. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, Aaron, uh, man, first off, again, uh, insanely humbled. I I never thought my own personal journey would cross paths with somebody that I've, you know, certainly seen uh, and and been well documented in terms of their fishing capabilities and influence throughout uh, not only the bass fishing world, but the angling world in general. And again, man, I just want you to know genuinely how appreciative I am of your time uh, just to speak to me as well as you know hopefully our listeners can kind yeah, of take truth and it's truth it's truth trout right uh, no speckled that. truth speckled truth speckled truth I'm just glad it, to be a part of you guys that's awesome I mean I think this is great I think we need more of this yeah. with different people and more people right that's what it's going to take is it's not going to take a couple of us it's going to take all of it <laughs> no for real if all of us together can do this we can make things much better yeah. But I'm so like, you had me on the show. I'm t- totally appreciate you guys for having me. Oh, absolutely, man. And and so like uh, our logo, which you may or may not have seen, but my, my brother, he lives up actually in uh, Northern California uh, in Forceville, uh, Petaluma, Sebastopol area. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we had kind of worked on a logo and, and folks who obviously follow us, the original logo that we had, he kind of drew up on a bar napkin uh, with one of his coworkers, Mark. And so um, the, the, the actual logo itself is speckled on top and in the lateral line of the fish of a, of a trout below it says truth. And the intent there is that, um, really there's the truth in fishing really is about, um, there's so much more that lies below the surface. You know, it's not just about catching a fish or targeting that or keeping a fish. And that's what we're trying so to that's what we're trying to get people to understand is yeah. that there's so much more uh, to this to this world of fishing. Yeah. And so again, man, I, I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, appreciate you guys having me anytime. Oh, well, we gotta <laughs> schedule it, but not quite anytime. But I'll, I'll be on anytime <laughs> you want me to. Uh, thanks, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Hey, if you can, you sir, uh, stick yeah, stick around for just a second. I'm gonna close mm-hmm. out the show. All right, love you guys, and right. uh, thanks for. I mean, you want Miss Dion, right? Yeah, if you don't mind, stay. Yeah. I just want to thank all the listeners out there. Let's make this a better world, fishing world for sure. Yes, sir. Well, hey, everyone. I want to say thanks again for sticking around, listening uh, to an incredible episode uh, with Aaron Martins. And I uh, want to sh- give a shout out to our sponsors, Mirror Lure, uh, Texas Custom Lures, the original Custom Corky, as well as Down South Lures, um, as well as Real Sportswear. We really appreciate their support. Um, And so until next time, guys, tight lines, God bless, take what you need and release the rest. God bless.